the account of the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, this will be uh, the second of two sermons on the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, Don't worry if you don't remember every single word from the first sermon. Uh, All will be uh, recapped and made clear when we consider together the second half of this story later. So let's give attention to the reading of God's word. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not do so, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Well, turning back to Luke chapter 16 and the rich man and Lazarus, and we'll consider the second half really of the story This evening from verse 24 through to the end, but perhaps just fixing in our minds verse 26. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. A great chasm has been fixed. Well, as we saw last time, we looked at this parable that's said in the context of an extended discussion on the subject of wealth, the use and abuse of riches. 
And at root, all of our Saviour's teaching was to expose the religious hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And we're told here in verse 14 that the Pharisees were lovers of money. They were covetous. And the story or parable of the rich man and Lazarus is here directly to address the Pharisees' love of money. And we saw that last time the Lord Jesus began to do this by showing us two contrasting lives and two contrasting deaths. The outwardly prosperous rich man, outwardly religious, outwardly wealthy, yet an utter stranger to God and to his grace. And this was contrasted with Lazarus, a man who had nothing, no health, no wealth, no food. He even desired the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table as he was lying helpless at his gate. And yet, the parable tells us that one of these men was known and loved by God. One of these men was called Lazarus. God has helped. He had a name. He was known and loved. But the rich man had no name. For all that he had outwardly, he was an utter stranger to God. And Jesus went on to show how that was revealed in the deaths that these two men had. The rich man had a funeral. He had the eulogies. He had the praise of men. But he wakes up in Hades, being in torment. It is revealed his wealth, his status meant absolutely nothing. And then Lazarus, we're not told that he has a funeral. We're to assume that he had nothing. But gloriously, we do hear that the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Two contrasting lives, two contrasting deaths. But having warned us so far in this way of the danger of covetousness, the story continues. It goes on to give us a dialogue between the rich man in Hades and Father Abraham in heaven. Verses 24 through 31. And we'll look at that dialogue this evening and see two things. We'll see the great gulf in verses 24 to 26. And we'll see the great word in verses 27 through 31. The great gulf and the great word. First then, verses 24 and 26, the great gulf. As the rich man awakes in torment, he sees that he is removed from Abraham. And all the blessings that he expected. And he cries out, verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Father Abraham. 
the man has a great delusion, even as he is now in Hades, Father Abraham. Now, yes, Abraham is his father in an outward sense. He is a physical descendant of Abraham. But he never understood in life, and now he doesn't understand in death. That physical descent from Abraham is never enough. He has not taken to heart the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and the uniform teaching of the Old Testament, which we have in Luke chapter 3. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say, God is able to raise up of these stones, children to Abraham. It is fruits of repentance that show a man or woman, a boy or a girl, to be a child of Abraham. And this man in his life had none. Leaving a true child of God at his gate. Not even giving him the crumbs from his table to take away the pangs of his hunger. He was there in his purple and his fine linen and his sumptuous feasting. And the beggar was left to beg. So there is still this self-delusion that my covenant privileges should have saved me. But moving on from that cry of Father Abraham, there's this cry for mercy. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. In the pain of hell, the man cries out, send Lazarus. And this is almost unbelievable. Rich man, you did nothing for Lazarus in life. You left him hungry, destitute, alone, to be licked by unclean dogs. Your covetousness led you to refuse to do any ounce of duty towards him. And now you want Abraham to tell Lazarus to go and help you when in life you steadfastly, resolutely refused to do anything to comfort him. And whatever else this cry of Father Abraham, tell Lazarus to make my life better, tells us, it shows us this. Hell has not brought true remorse or repentance to this rich man. It has not even brought him to speak to Lazarus. He still ignores him as he did in life. He just says, Abraham, tell that man to do good for me. Even here in Hades, the rich man is desiring mercy for himself apart from repentance. Well, what response will Abraham give? Will the rich man's torment be alleviated by Lazarus? Respond, Abraham does, but he gives no hope 
he gives no comfort. In essence, he says two things to the rich man. You sinned away mercy in your life. And secondly, there is no mercy after death. He first says to the rich man, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus bad things. But he is comforted and you are in anguish. Child, in the sense of yes, you were a privileged member of Israel according to the flesh. You were a covenant child. And child, remember your life. Child, remember. And that word remember, or that task of remembering, is, I think, one of the great torments and anguishes of Hades. That remembering is the great driver of the worm that does not die. Remember, Abraham says, the good things you had in your life. Remember all the blessings and mercies you received. The food, the clothes, the homes, the family, the work. Remember how in the goodness and long-suffering of God, he gave you all these good things. And know that the goodness of God should lead you to repentance. Remember. And remember how you abused all the good gifts God gave you. How you consumed the gifts and never thought of the giver. And remember, son, remember, child of the covenant, that you had the word of God. Remember that you had God's servants call you to repent and to believe. Remember how my word told you that today was the day of salvation. Remember that you truly were an outward son and that you rejected all that I told you. And remember that you rejected your brother Lazarus. Remember how you showed your rejection of me by leaving him to be licked by dogs, by despising him and doing nothing for him. No, rich man, remember that you sinned away mercy in your life. Lazarus will not come to you. Your punishment is just, for in life you chose the love of money and hated your brother. But even more than telling the rich man he sinned away mercy in life, Abraham goes on. It is impossible for your pain to be alleviated because, verse 26, besides all this, Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Abraham is saying, rich man, what you ask is impossible. The great judgment has fallen. Lazarus has been pronounced blessed and you have been pronounced cursed. 
The tree has fallen and there it must lie. You know, there can often be fond hopes of a second chance after we die. And making good for our sins in the long ages of eternity. A release from the consequences of our life on earth. But Abraham says, put that away from your thoughts. There is a great and impassable gulf fixed between heaven and hell. The abode of the blessed and the abode of the cursed. It is impossible, rich man, for Lazarus to show mercy to you. Because the judgment of God has fallen. You are in torment and he is blessed. And in that condition you both must remain. The great gulf is fixed. And in all of this, the Lord Jesus Christ is lovingly, mercifully warning us of the consequences and seriousness of sin. Here Jesus is saying to us, the wages of sin truly is death. There is no second chance. And so knowing this, Jesus gives us this message so that we would seek the Lord while he may be found, that we would call upon him while he is near, that we would remember our creator in the days of our youth. Jesus is saying to all of us, even this evening, do not delay, do not trifle with sin. Because that day will come and we don't know when, when we must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And from that day onwards, the cry of mercy, the cry for mercy is too late. So Jesus says, call out now, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Because on that day we die, the great gulf is fixed. So that's our first point, the great gulf fixed. But there's more to come from the rich man. He is not yet silenced. And so we see the great word in verses 24 to 31. The rich man is rebuffed for himself, but he now makes a request for his brothers. He says then, verse 27, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus, send him to my father's house. I have five brothers. He may warn them lest they come in to this place of torment. Still, Lazarus is not spoken to by this rich man. Still, Lazarus is supposedly at his beck and call. Abraham, if Lazarus can't help me, then send him to my brothers. And at least we see here a realization that an outwardly moral life, living for something other than God's glory, is a path to a lost eternity. He realizes that just like himself, his brothers are living lost lives. And so he cries, send him, Lazarus, to them. But Abraham again says, no. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Abraham says they have the word of God. 
And as we heard this morning, that word of God is living, it is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. They have the word that is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. They have the word that God has breathed out, which in and of itself by the power of the Spirit makes us wise unto salvation. What more do they need, Abraham says. No, I will not send Lazarus to them. It will make no difference. The Holy Scriptures, they need nothing more. But the rich man is persistent, probably used to having his way in life, and so on he goes. Verse 30, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And the arrogance that the rich man shows is staggering. Here he is in torments. Everything that he valued in life has been shown to be worthless. Everything about the way he lived his life has been turned on its head. But still he feels that he is in a place to tell Abraham what to do. There is all the way through this parable, this story, no repentance, no humbling. And so now he says flat out to Abraham, you've got it wrong. God's word is not sufficient. A miracle is needed. Someone needs to rise from the dead and then they will believe. And there's, if you look at the story here, a very subtle shifting of the blame going on. Because the rich man, in effect, is saying to Abraham, I am in torment because God didn't give me enough evidence. If someone rose from the dead and told me that my life was not right, if some great miracle had occurred that I had seen, and I was then told that I was a sinner despite my outwardly good life, If a resurrected man told me the gospel message, I would have believed. But none of these things happened. And so, it's really the fault of God that I am in the condition I am in. I was not shown clearly enough that my righteousnesses were filthy rags. I was not shown clearly enough that the imaginations of my heart were evil and that continually. And nor have my brothers been shown this clearly enough. But if one went from the dead to tell them, they will repent. They will be given the evidence they need and that I was deprived from having. And Abraham replies for the final time. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be convinced, though one should rise from the dead. No, rich man, there is no cloak for your lack of repentance and belief. Rich man, you had the great means of working faith and repentance. You had the word 
of God. You had the law to convict you of sin. And you had the gospel promise as the ground for your faith. You had the Ten Commandments to cry out over you, lost sinner. You had that Tenth Commandment that said, you shall not covet. And yet you spent your life coveting the things of this world. And you had the sacrifices to show you that the shedding of blood was needed for the cleansing of sin. You had the promise of the seed of the woman to come. You had the gospel as well as the law. And you refused to believe all these things. And no, no miracle would have persuaded you otherwise. And here at last in this story we have the root of the rich man's problem uncovered. His problem wasn't that he was wealthy. God gives great wealth to some. Abraham, the father of the faithful, wealthy beyond anyone's imaginations. Wealth was not his problem. His problem was he refused to believe. He was not persuaded by the truths the Old Testament taught. And because he did not believe, he gave himself to worshipping his riches. The great mother sin of this man was he did not believe. He did not repent of his covetousness and believe the gospel hope that is held out for sinners. How he used his money, how he behaved towards poor Lazarus, these sins simply manifested the greater sin of his heart, that he was not persuaded by the good news of the gospel. And Abraham says, Lazarus, just like it was for you, so it is for your brothers. They have everything they need. A resurrection would avail them nothing. If they reject God's word on its own authority, nothing else will persuade them. And you know, there's a remarkable proof of that very thing in the Gospels themselves. Cast your minds to John chapter 11. Who was sick and who died in John chapter 11? A certain man named Lazarus. And what happened to Lazarus after he died? Well, the one who is the resurrection and the life called out, Lazarus, come forth. Now, there was a Lazarus who rose from the dead. And while that was a great comfort, a great proof for the Lord Jesus' disciples, where did that leave the covetous? Pharisees, were they persuaded when one rose from the dead? John eleven forty seven. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do for this man performs many signs? And the conclusion of their council was this. From that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. Lazarus 
did return from the dead. And no, they did not believe. The Pharisees, having rejected Moses, they rejected the risen Lazarus. And as an aside, what a a wonderful interlinking there is in the scriptures and the historical events and the parables or the stories. You know, the man here in this parable could have any name, but his name was Lazarus. And the man who rose from the dead in John 11, the same name. What a wonderful, simple, interlinking testimony to the inspiration of Scripture. But then even more than Lazarus in John 11 being raised from the dead, how did the Pharisees respond to the resurrection that is greater than that of Lazarus, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? When the Son of God rose in power, did they repent? No. They bribed others to lie and to claim that Jesus had not risen. Matthew 28. When they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money to the soldiers, saying, Say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while you slept. No. They will not believe, though one rises from the dead. And so it is the word, the word. Nothing else is needed. Nothing else will be given. And here this evening, we don't just have Moses and the prophets. We have the fullness of New Testament revelation. It is all that we need to deliver us from the wrath that is to come the Holy Scriptures reveal our sinfulness and the beauty of Jesus Christ. That is all we need and it's all we're going to get. So as we close, how is it with you and how is it with me? Does our use of wealth reveal that we love it rather than God? Does our attitude to others reveal that we love ourselves rather than our brothers and sisters in Christ? And do these things reveal the great mother sin of unbelief lurking in our hearts? And that's the great issue this parable leaves at the door of our lives. It says to us, do you believe the word of God? Do you personally, truly, in your hearts know that you are a sinner but rejoice that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners? Or are you here this evening saying, I wish I could believe. I wish I lived in the days of the apostles. I wish I believed in the days of Moses when the plagues were in Egypt or when Peter the Apostle was working these great miracles. If only I was alive in these days, my faith would be stronger and I would truly believe. Well, this passage says to us, no, you wouldn't. You have all you need in God's word. There's no point waiting for something more 
something greater. It is the word of God, the gospel preached to you week by week. That is all you will get. And how you respond to that will determine what side of the great gulf that is fixed you will spend all eternity on. There are no excuses. The word is all you need. The word is all you have. And so accept the word of salvation held out to you every week. So that when you die, you will not suffer what the rich man did. But you will know the experience of Lazarus. Being carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. Today is the day of salvation. Listen to the word. Receive Christ and live in the assurance that in Christ we have all things. Amen.